Welcome to the Ride With Us podcast, presented by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, the world's largest ride enthusiast organization dedicated to the appreciation, promotion, and preservation of roller coasters around the globe. So please keep your hands and feet inside the podcast at all times as we welcome in your host. Hello, enthusiasts. Jessica Gardner here. The legacy of Schwarzkopf, the documentary being filmed and produced by Ace, is coming in late 2024. Now, if you haven't seen the epic trailer for it yet, check it out as soon as you can on ridewithace.com. You will be so excited. Back in July, the team behind the documentary shared with us their adventures and their challenges in making this film. But so much has happened since then. So it's time for another update. You are in for a treat with this one. Please welcome back our friend, Chris Robery. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a Legacy of Schwarzkopf documentary update. My name is Chris Robery. I'm one of the producers on the film. And joining me on this call today are Nicholas Laskowitz, Robert Engel, Scott Schaefer. So real quick, guys, let's do a quick uh, touch about what everybody's doing on the documentary. So I said I'm the producer or a producer rather, and I guess international drone pilot at this point. Nicholas, what is one of the things or the things that you're doing on the film? So wearing a lot of different hats, trying to help wrangle everything together as a director of the film, going to be doing a lot of the editing when we eventually get to that. And then running the, a lot of the interviews when we're filming during, during the production of the documentary. And they look really good so far. Oh my gosh. You guys have no idea. It's been some great stories. Robert, how about you? Yes. I am one of the cameramen, producers, researchers, email senders, you know, like Nicholas said, we all wear many hats in this and, uh, yeah, so a lot of the shots you'll see in the documentary that are zoomed or close in, like those really nice nerd detail shots, uh, those all came from me. And we know we will definitely appreciate those. Scott? Yeah, speaking of nerdy shots, I'm getting all the nerdy on-ride stuff, so do a lot of camera rigging, things like that. Um, also, you know, kind of second camera B-roll. Um, and then I'm also the uh, food and beverage consultant. Most definitely. And and we will be talking a little bit about that uh, on this trip uh, or rather on this episode. So let's do a quick recap, everyone, of what we shot so far this year. Uh, We started off strong in uh, Chicago at Six Flags Great America. We had a chance to film Whizzer, which was really spectacular, as well as two classic Schwarzkopf flat rides. Now, for three of us, actually for all four of us, it's really a trip back home because for Nicholas, Robert and myself, we grew up at California's Great America. So very similar park layout. Obviously, at one point, they were exactly the same. So it was kind of a trip, guys, to be able to see all those rides that we grew up with in not Santa Clara. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. It's like for growing up at the Santa Clara Park, it's like walking into an episode of The Twilight Zone. That's easily the best way I could describe it. But it's, it's such a great park. Yeah, and it's, it's really cool to see, like, rides that are still at the Gurney Park that the California Park doesn't have anymore, like the log flumes, the train, triple play, things like that. And then looking at our park, we have some things that Gurney doesn't have. So it's really cool to see those comparisons. But then also, like, as Robert said, you look at a building and you're like, well, that's a restaurant at California's Great America, but here it's like a season pass building. So it's like really like this, wait a minute, I know that building, but it's not what it's supposed to look like. So very, very weird situation for sure. And Scott, for you, it was kind of a, 
a homecoming, right? Because you were up and grew up in Chicago for a, a lot of your life and you went to that park a ton. Yeah, Great America is my home park growing up, you know, and like I owe a lot of my hobby to it as well. You know, I, I used to be fascinated but terrified of roller coasters. And it wasn't until like my early teenage years when I started riding them, researching them, you know, um, you know, just had a knack for Anton Schwarzkopf rides. And honestly, I mean, Wizard is a ride like every time I visit Great America, I have to ride Wizard once. It's, it's I was the only ride there that I have to ride if I'm visiting the park. And it's the best night ride in the park. Oh, I can imagine. And we had a blast shooting it. Nicholas, you got a chance to play with your brand new Ronin, uh, which was the footage that came out was incredible. If you've seen the trailer, which check out the Ace YouTube channel, if you haven't yet, you see a lot of those shots with the movement on them. And they just, man, they just look so crisp and so good. What was that like? Yeah, it was definitely a new toy to get used to because I've used stabilize, camera stabilizers before, but nothing like it's not that heavy, but it's heavier compared to the stuff I've used with GoPros and smaller cameras. And so getting used to having a handheld stabilizer without wearing like a steady cam kind of vest or another way to kind of help stabilize the whole unit, you definitely get a pretty buff arm, I will say, <laughs> holding the camera and, and doing, you know, you can, I had an extension pull on a lot of the shots. And so I was like, you know, reaching up high or reaching down low, but I think it's going to add a lot of value to the production overall. And we, uh, we used it extensively since then in the trips that followed. Scott, how did it feel to be able to go back to your home park and be able to get probably the best footage on-ride footage ever that Wizards ever had. It was like remarkable. I mean, it really, it really was remarkable. It was, it was a special moment. I don't nerd out about many things, but that ride just, you know, really means so much to me as like the, the shorts cough that I kind of grew up with and like really got to know. And it's just such a great ride and so unique. I mean, there's not many of that type left. And just to be able to capture it that way, you know, get that beautiful point of view uh, footage was just amazing and some of the interviews that we did like on the ride as well were great i mean you can see some familiar faces in that footage pretty remarkable to just be honestly just for me personally in the presence of wizard because i never got to grow up with that ride and i'd only seen photos of it so literally our first day shooting there was my first time getting to experience wizard which was kind of weird and surreal at the same time because i was super familiar with the ride from growing up seeing photos of it. And I'm like, wow, I'm literally looking at it now. Yeah. And our thanks to the entire Six Flags Great America team, Rachel Kenderosa, everybody who helped us out with that shoot. It was a two day shoot. It turned out to be, and we really cannot thank them enough for allowing us to come out to the park and be able to really capture these rides in ways that really haven't been done ever. So we really can't wait to show that off. So that's the first shoot that we do of the year. And it turns out, well, we got a few shoots that we got to go through, right? So a few weeks later, we jump on a plane again, and we head on over to Lagoon, which is another bucket list park for a lot of folks. Uh, they've gotten a lot of love this year, and rightfully so, with Primordial just opening up. Unfortunately, we didn't quite get to go on it. It was right there, but we didn't get a chance. <laughs> Nicholas, tell us a little bit about your lagoon experience being able to capture the two Schwarzkopf's there. Yeah, it was really great to come back for a documentary project first off, because we were originally going to be filming at lagoon back in 2015 during the big legacy of aero development documentary shoot. Uh, the plan was to interview Dahl Freeman, who was a former aero engineer who then was hired on the park who to help with a lot of the in house built coasters that they've done like Bombora, Cannibal, Primordial, all those types of things. And so um, to be able to, 
go back to this park, which is one of my favorites, and they keep everything in such like top-notch care. And I, I love family parks. Growing up with the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, I love any sort of family-owned park. And and Colossus, Colossus is in amazing condition, and Jetstar is in amazing condition, and um, the staff that maintain those rides are just as passionate about them as we are from an enthusiast perspective. So getting to interview someone from like the maintenance team and just have him pour his heart out about, oh, I've met folks from the Schwarzkopf company and I've maintained this ride for 40 years. It's just like incredible to hear these stories. And these are stories they don't often get to share with the public and you can just see that passion in their eyes. And so getting to capture that with with all y'all was was really a memorable experience. Robert, what was your favorite part about heading to Lagoon again? Oh, Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. Honestly, just getting to go to Lagoon, you know, kind of what Nicholas said, to film this time for real, to actually shoot at Lagoon. So that was that was really exciting. And, I mean, that park just has an amazing backdrop with the mountains behind it. It is just it's beautiful. It's shaded. It's I mean, most of the people probably listening to this know because they were just there for fall conference. So you all understand. Scott, what was your favorite part about mounting on those two classic source golfs? Because you had a field day with some of those angles, didn't you? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, especially like, I mean, take Colossus the Fire Dragon. Like, that's honestly, I mean, I wrote a lot of source golfs this year, and that was the best running of them all. And we wrote some really great running shorts costs. I don't know if you guys agree with me on that. I, that ride just literally feels feel like it's brand new and looks beautiful. So to be able to like, you know, capture something that's like, that's that well maintained slash restored is just, is just awesome. And then, you know, adding in some kind of cool trick shots, things like that, you know, trying to show off some of the shorts cough badges and the shots as well. It's just, it's a lot of fun. And yeah, yeah we got, we got some incredible, incredible footage of those rides. I know I had a field day with the drone just because like you said, Robert, the mountains in the background with these beautiful rides there. I mean, what's not to love about it, right? Yeah. I mean, and plus we had, we had literally perfect weather for both shoots. We had perfect weather. Gurney Gurney was, we, it was almost, let's just say it turns out. And I didn't know this guys. Do you know, Chicago is called the windy city. Because, boy, my drone found out really quickly that it didn't like the Windy City that much. But we still got the shots. <laughs> Barely, but we got them. There may have been a, a chase or two of the drone when it decided just to do its own thing when the wind caught it. But we still got it, and uh, it was it was still an adventure no matter what, right? Also got to interview a ton of acers uh, at uh, in Gurney for the uh, ace documentary that we're doing right after the Schwarzkopf documentary. That was always great to to have as well. So yeah, we've got two documentaries coming. If you can believe it, we're actually filling them simultaneously. So stay tuned for more information on that. So we're not done yet though, are we? Nicholas had an opportunity to head out to worlds of fun to check out Zambezi zinger, which of course has a very big Schwarzkopf connection. It wasn't built by Schwarzkopf, this new one, but Nicholas, there was a ton of inspiration that was taken from it. We wasn't there. Yeah, I was really fortunate to have a chance to go out there this summer. It was not part of the original documentary plan to to do that, but um, there was a friend of mine I wanted to go visit this past summer, and turns out he was uh, close enough proximity to Worlds of Fun. And so I thought this is a perfect opportunity to go out there and connect with the park. And I have to do a shout-out to Brian McGannon. Uh, it was part of their team there who really gave us some really fantastic access um, to Zambezi Zinger itself. And it was a really surreal thing to see it in person because it has that iconic Schwarzkopf spiral lift hill, but on a 
wooden coaster that also has GCI Titan track. So it's this really interesting thing that they've they put together. Um, and um, like, yeah, seeing that spiral lift and all the theming that they put back into it, it really harkens back to the park's original Zambezi Zinger, which had been gone since the late 90s. And so the park deserves a lot of credit for during their 50th anniversary season, bringing back the Zambezi Zinger in a new way by not only incorporating Schwarzkopf design elements, but also putting nods to Schwarzkopf in the theming that's been in the queue. So they, they really pay homage to what Anton Schwarzkopf did at that park. And um, it's a really aggressive little ride. It doesn't look like it is much, but boy, don't let that spiral lift till fool you because it is not quite the family ride that I thought it was. And it's, um, but it really has that Schwarzkopf kind of intensity and feel despite not being a steel coaster. So it was a really cool experience. Now, were you able to spot the Schwarzkopf badge that is in the line of Zambezi Zinger? Yeah, so in the theming, in the queue, they have one of the Schwarzkopf badges. And that was really cool to see because um, that's been something that we've been helping bring back to a lot of these Schwarzkopf coasters as part of the project. Some of you listening may have seen um, at Gurney, we were able to get the badges back on Wizard, for example. And, and the park was really excited about partnering with us and sharing that with their fans as much as sharing it with our fans. And so, again, seeing another park in the industry that wants to respect uh, a manufacturer of the past that really revolutionized the industry. It's just just a cool to be to be part of that. Most definitely, it's really exciting to be able to work with facilities too that not only understand the history but respect it, admire it, and celebrate it. Right, that makes it so much easier to do the documentaries like this. Right, it, doing the Arrow documentary, the same thing. They knew the company well and they respected it. And they were happy to celebrate how great it was when they were on the top of their game. It really is cool to be able to, to have that knowledge and to be able to see it, too. It really is. But we're not done yet, are we? Because <laughs> there's still even more of trips coming up. So we fast forward a little bit past Nicholas's trip from Worlds of Fun. Uh, stop me, boys, if I'm skipping a park here. Where we head over to Atlanta. And we're going to check out... Uh, Six Flags Over Georgia and the classic Schwarzkopf Mindbender. We all come in the night before and our food and beverage consultant, Scott, heads us out to uh, Truett's Luau, which if you haven't chance is a uh, Hawaiian-themed Chick-fil-A. Really, that's what it mostly is, right, Scott? If I'm, I'm not mistaken there? Yeah, so there's a whole backstory there that, um, that uh, 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 Truett was like really into like Polynesian style restaurants. And he actually got a lot of the inspiration from the Polynesian resort at, uh, at uh, Disney world it was one of his favorite places to visit. And um, so he wanted to build a Hawaiian restaurant and he built it like right before he passed away. And I think it opened either right before or right after he passed away. I think it was right. I think it opened right after he passed away. But anyway, it's just, it's a cool story, really unique restaurant, but it's, you know, right next to fun spot as well. So it's always a great spot. That see, that's a marketing thing right there. It's a great spot at fun spot. I think, you know, did that was, did they pay you for that? No. So yes, oh, fun yeah. spot Atlanta <laughs> just happened to be down the, the road and you know, it, it turns out they have a cute kitty coaster. Oh, by the way, probably a, a pretty awesome, uh, larger coaster there as well. Uh, <laughs> Airy force one, which was, uh, was a blast. It was an absolute blast. Uh, especially at night because there's pretty much no lights out there. So it was quite an adventure, wasn't it, Robert? Um, yeah, not knowing what to expect and flipping over the arcade 
on that inversion was, uh, yeah, I don't even know how to explain it really just out of control and intense, but in the best ways possible. And Scott, you've got quite a bit of mileage on that from doing your <laughs> filming as well. Uh, talk to us about it. Yeah. I mean, that's the coaster that I've actually ridden the most this year. I mean, I've ridden it hundreds of times and I just, it's like, I've ridden all the RMCs, but two, and that is like my top one or two RMC. Um, just love the ride. It's, it's just, it has the perfect layout, perfect pacing, um, perfect amount of intensity. It's thrilling as all hell. It just checks all the boxes for me. Feels out of control at one point. It's got like, cool forces you don't typically experience on an RMC. And yeah, I'm just, I'm obsessed with it. I love it. Nicholas, what'd you think? Well, I honestly will never forget when we were driving up alongside the ride um, because you're, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere, lots of trees around. And then it's kind of like a, I kind of compare it to a holiday world when you come up on holiday world for the first time when you're rolling through farmland and then you just see, you know, a giant B&M out in the middle of nowhere. So like seeing this, massive RMC on the side of the road at a, at a park that like you would never expect to have a coaster of this scale is, is unbelievable. And, and then not only that, but they did a really great job. I will say for the theming of the ride, not only uh, in the queue below the station, but also in the station itself, the, the whole theme dispatch monitor, all the trains are beautifully themed banners, paint job. It's really well done. And then the ride is all of you all have said is, is really phenomenal. And I was really surprised how much I liked it. So that was a really great start to, uh, uh, to the trip. It's certainly an epic trip. That is for sure. So the next morning we are up bright and early and we're heading out to six flags over Georgia to meet up with a group, a group of ACE members from the ACE Southeast region who came out to uh, fill seats for us. I got to live my travel channel, you know, dream to get the whole train like riled up and excited. Like I was, you know, producing this, you know, thing. Cause we are. So it was like, for me, it was crazy. Just like, I'm in the station getting everybody riled up. It's like, wait a minute. I've been on the other side of this before. What am I doing over here? I should be in the train, shouldn't I? But we had an opportunity to, again, check out Six Flags Over Georgia's Mindbender and we got to check out a lot of really cool spots, didn't we, Robert? Um, yeah, I have to honestly give a shout out to Nicholas for finding probably my favorite angle at that shoot. It was a zoom on, oh my goodness, the drop that I don't, the drop where it goes down into the loop. And <laughs> to get it, I was standing way in the ADA entrance slash exit for Batman. So if you're familiar with the park, I was really far away from that drop to get that shot. But I mean, it came out flawless. It's perfect. It's really nice. Yeah, one of the cool things, and Nicholas and Scott, you can speak to this too, is sometimes when you're on site, uh, especially if you've never been to the park before, or even if you have been to a park before, sometimes an angle just presents itself. Can you, either you sort of talk about how that kind of process happens and when it happens, you just know that, Oh man, that's a great shot. Yeah, I mean to 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 comment on that shot that Robert pointed out, I was really quite excited to find it because I, especially the, you know those folks who are listening who have been to this park will know that it's really difficult to film this ride because most of the ride is not available to see really from any publicly accessible pathways within the park. It's it's built over this ravine. You can kind of see it more from the parking lot honestly than inside the park, and so. 
it's a real, it presents like some people may see that as like, Oh, I don't really want to film this cause it's a real challenge. But to me, that makes it more exciting to film because you're trying to find and look for unique vantage points that nobody's ever seen. So that's why I you know I had walked three, 312 miles away from the ride, <laughs> digging through the bushes, almost like not really, but still like, you want to look for those unique shots? And that's the kind of shot that people will see in a film and go like, well, that's, something I've never seen before, but the ride will be familiar. So I, I like those sorts of challenges and I'm sure Scott, you've, you've done like stuff like that too. Yeah. Well, I like, I mean, I just want to give a shout out to like, to Chris getting a uh, drone through those trees because, uh, yeah, that takes a little bit of confidence, man. That ride is like, that ride's pretty terrainy, pretty covered in trees. And you, you know, like you got some great shots of it. Um, some of the POVs I had just gotten the newest, GoPro, so I was playing with like some of the new settings on it as well, which was like always kind of cool to like kind of test and play around when the new cameras come out. But um, I think you'll notice the difference and be pleasantly surprised when you when you do see the POVs of this. I can say with good confidence that I did not trim a single tree at Six Flags Over Georgia, and I'm very proud about that because uh, <laughs> it was, you know, as Scott said, there's a lot of trees around that ride, and uh, thankfully, uh, nope, they did not require any trimming, and the drone did not need to trim, nor did it trim. So, yeah, there's a lot of once-in-a-lifetime shots that we got there. Again, because that ride's in such a beautiful ravine, but also just because of the artistry, and, and you can't really appreciate the angles until you're up 200 feet in the air and you're looking straight down at it. So no one's really had a chance to see just how beautiful that, you know, beautiful drop is until now. So we're really excited to be able to, to share that. And the drone was very happy to capture that and get quite a workout that day. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, huge shout out to Deidre and Jamie for giving us full access basically to that ride. It was Mm -hmm. extremely helpful. Most definitely. And also, before I forget, we, we never we neglected to say thank you to Julie and Adam at uh, Lagoon yes. as well for all of their assistance. Oh. And, of course, to Massimo, uh, which is Julie's dog, because it's just funny <laughs> to say. So shout out to you, Massimo. Be a good boy. OK, so after that, we think we get to play a little bit at Six Flags Over Georgia, which is always fun to do. Right. And the next day, because we just this is how we roll on a documentary like this. We. uh head over to the North Georgia State Fair, which was not really on a lot of our radars when we started this film project, but it turns out that they have a rather large wildcat model there. And boy, from the moment we got there, I think the two keywords were Southern hospitality, right? Like they, they, were, they made it so easy to get all the shots we needed. Uh, the owner of the wildcat came out to talk to us. I mean, we got incredible footage. The POVs are ridiculous. And that ride runs like it's brand new. Am I, I mean, it's 60 plus years old. It was incredibly smooth, right? Um, I honestly couldn't believe how smooth it was. It's not to bash some new coasters, but it's definitely felt smoother than some new rides out there currently. You know, not nearly rides that are as old. I mean, because like Chris said, that ride's 60 years old and it is smooth. What was the example that uh, that the owner told us that he could put a bucket of water in the ride and it wouldn't spill? Yeah, you could put a bucket of water in the front seat and it would not spill a single drop of water. And yet the ride's still fun and thrilling. Go figure. And it was still bent by hand without computers. Yeah, it was just a spectacular ride. There's just no way about it. And if you get a chance, you're in the area f- during the North Georgia State Fair. Boy, 
do not uh, miss out on that opportunity. There's a lot of other great rides there. Heck, we saw a guy get shot out of a cannon through a Larson loop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was <laughs> that was I, the most yeah. like state fair thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was great. That was insane. I, we, we thought at that point, our trip cannot possibly get better. There's no way. Well, this is peak, right? But it wasn't. It's somehow it just kept getting better. And I don't know how we did it, but we found a way. <laughs> so the next day, uh, we took a uh, short hop across the Atlantic Ocean all the way from Atlanta to Munich. And why are we going to Munich? Well, there's a small little party there called Oktoberfest every single year, right around the end of September. And it did not disappoint. It also has some of, if not the greatest rides on Earth, and at least two, we believe now three, Schwarzkopf rides on the fairgrounds. So, uh, spoiler, I've been to Oktoberfest before. Scott, you have as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but for Nicholas and Robert, this was your very first time. Talk to us about that moment when you walk out of the train station, right, out of the, the subway station, and you're still you walk onto the fairgrounds for the very first time. What's that reaction, Nicholas? Well, it was definitely a surreal moment. And even thinking back about it now, it like, it doesn't feel like I actually went there. Um, Cause it was not only Robert and I's first time to Oktoberfest, but it was our first time out of the country as well. And so that experience on top of, all of this sensory overload and just the, the attire everybody's wearing and the smells of the food and the rides and the lights. And it's just like, it felt like I was at IAPA almost, but like it but there was no building. It was outdoors and there was like, it, I wasn't in a suit, but other than that, I was just like overwhelmed the same way. And it was something where you just want to spend more time there. Like we were there for an evening and then a whole day. And it was like, just enough, but also like not enough because there's just so much to do there. And Robert, you probably had a similar reaction when we got um, there. Yeah, so I remember going up the escalator and we're in the street. I don't, I don't remember the name of the street, but we're following the crowd to the main entrance. We turn the corner past security and you're just looking down the main thoroughfare and there's Olympia looping. And right on the left side is Alpina Bond. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we are actually here right now. We're filming a documentary at Oktoberfest. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, like how Nicholas mentioned, it didn't even seem real. It still doesn't seem like it happened, but yeah, it, it happened and it was exhausting, but it was very fun and rewarding at the same time. Yeah, so that first day, I mean, we're exhausted. I mean, that's a nine hour flight from Atlanta to Munich. So you also, it's basically becomes a red eye. So when you you're up, it's basically you're it's four o'clock in the morning. By the time you touch down in, in Munich, we got everything kind of situated a little bit and then headed right out there so we could do some pre-scouting, right? Cause we want to get out there and sort of just check and see what angles are available to us. Uh, drone was not available out there. Uh, that's part of the Oktoberfest rules. Totally understand given how many people are actually there, but uh, it was still great to be able to see everything beforehand, kind of get a feel for the land, and then also get an opportunity to get a feel for the event itself. So it's not just about going there and just getting beer and drinking. That's not what Oktoberfest is. Is that a part of it? Absolutely. But it's also, I would put it like a state fair on steroids 
Would you guys kind of agree with that where you've got your, you know, your beer tents, but then you've got surrounding it are some of the greatest rides on earth. Portable. Yeah. It's definitely a a giant cultural celebration of everyone gathering, enjoying good food, good drinks, good rides and good company. That's all it is. It's just about having a great time. Scott, this was your second time at Oktoberfest. Yeah. Second time I was there in uh, 2015. Um, yeah, dude, this meant a lot to me, especially to be able to put um, cameras on Olympia Looping because one of my biggest inspirations was those old videos back in the day, like America's Greatest Roller Coaster Thrills in 3D and then the World's Greatest Roller Coaster Thrills in 3D. And that one featured Olympia Looping. Ever since I saw that video, like I'd always wanted to ride it. And then once I got into filming, I always wanted to film it. And of all those videos, all the rides and all the videos, the only ride that I've ever properly mounted and filmed is now Olympia Looping. So it's just, I don't know, it really just kind of, it was really, I guess, an inspiring moment. And like, just kind of like look back and reflect and just like, see, this is like, this is the ride. This is like one of the rides that made me kind of fall in love with like the idea of traveling to ride roller coasters and I get to capture it now. Yeah, and a big shout out to our friend Eric Boardman, who is a uh, Hollywood producer and who produced a lot of those old Discovery Channel shows and America's Greatest Roller Coaster Thrills in 3D, I believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, Nicholas. He he really inspired a lot of us, of, of our generation, to get into coasters because we would watch all this stuff and be like, wow, wow, there's so many great rides outside of you know where we live we got to go see those one of these days. And, you know, we actually got a chance to interview Eric for the arrow documentary, which was super special at magic mountain when it was like 120 degrees outside. I, was say, I felt bad. It was so hot that day we interviewed him. Yeah. Sorry, Eric. We promise we'll send you some bottled water. So thank you. Uh, but he's a Chicago guy and he always talks about the Riverview Bobs and how he used to ride that, which is of course a big flex on his part, but I guess he's allowed to do that. Right. Ugh, that's my number one. If I go back in time and ride a defunct coaster, I would ride the Riverview Bobs. My number one, no questions asked. That's what I would do. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a little envious of that. So that was uh, day one of Oktoberfest, and uh, we should also mention that uh, our good friend R.D. Dewberry joined us at this point because R.D. does speak German, which came in handy quite a bit as we go went on right through the uh, the documentary, which we'll talk about uh, shortly. Uh, and then also helped us out with a lot with the travel and getting us where we needed to go and, and coordinating all of that. So massive shout out to RD, who's uh, not here in this podcast tonight, but he's here certainly in our hearts right now as a, uh, a massive thank you to him for, for making that happen. Because certainly we could not have done that on our own. No way. So, uh, and we'll explain why very quickly. <laughs> so we were able to, to shoot uh, Olympia Looping and we head over to Alpina Bon. We meet up with the owner, Angela Bruch, who was delightful. And Angela gave us access to, well, pretty much everything. Right, Scott? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I was doing POVs while they were running two trains. You guys were in the ride area. <laughs> yes, we were in the safe part of the infield being yeah. escorted, we might add, at all times. Safety first, of course. But uh, generally not an area that you would be in when the ride was running. But when the owner of the ride says, come with me, Nicholas, you just kind of say, okay. 
Yeah, in fact, I started rolling immediately because I was like, well, I not only want to tell this story, but I want to like show people how we like got to where we were when people were riding this. And again, as you said, it was a completely safe area. We were under full supervision. But it was very much like, a, I'm not breathing right now, but I'm going to hit record before I pass out from the excitement I'm about to share. So we weren't in there for very long, but just being able to get angles like that that nobody's ever gotten in the quality that we were shooting was mm-hmm. definitely one of the highlights. Certainly. And then it got it got even crazier because uh, I'm a volunteer with the National Roller Coaster Museum. And Angela, we told Angela about that. And she said, oh, I have something for you. Hang on. And we all kind of looked at each other after we finished the interview. It's like, oh, what, what does she have? What are we doing? She comes back and she donates on the spot electrical blueprints from Alpinabon with the Schwarzkopf stamp on it all over the place. And Robert, how was that holding in your backpack? Um, I was nervous the entire day until we got back to the hotel because I have literally priceless blueprints, blueprints in my backpack running around Oktoberfest. And I was like, these need to get back to Plainview, Texas immediately. (laughs) And I can confirm they are safe and secure in a secure location on their way to Plainview as we speak. So a massive shout out to the folks at uh, Barth. Nicholas, your contact there. Uh, was able to make the Olympia looping shoot happen. So uh, a shout out to him. I forget his name. I apologize. Julian. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to, to Julian. He's a professional photographer. He also has written a really fantastic book on the Prater. And so definitely uh, you can look that up online, but yeah, I was uh, filming Olympia and having access. There was also something that was incredible. And we, I think I'm speaking for all of us when I say that we were all sort of worried about how we were going to be able to get this kind of access, not only mm-hmm. with there's the language barrier, there's a whole just different cultural barriers and all that. And plus all of us not being from there, you know, with Arrow, it was a lot simpler, especially being mostly a lot of it was in the Bay Area. And so that made things very local and simple to us. So being able to use our industry connections, friends through Ace and other clubs within the community to to get access to to Olympia and Alpinabon was was really a fantastic experience. And just to comment real quick on the electrical diagrams, the fact that there were those barriers, but the respect for what we were doing was just the same as if we were at Lagoon or anywhere else really was a special moment. And um, yeah, I think that just fuels all of us to like want to keep doing these things. It may have helped that we also gave them beaver nuggets from Bucky's. I'm just saying. I don't know. That well, might have been the reason, actually. That you, know? Might be, you know, Beaver Nuggets solve everything, it's right? It's not the documentary, it's the Beaver Nuggets. Yes, yeah. so thank you. Uh, no, you're right, though. It, it, what we're trying to do with Ace and with this documentary is it transcends culture, right? It's all about celebrating history, and that's one of the coolest parts about, you know, being an Ace member and supporting this film is that you are getting worldwide love for this, and there is no other organization out there doing stuff like this. So it's really cool to be able to say that you are a part of it. Even if you're just listening right now to the podcast as an ACE member, you're still helping to make the documentary possible. So we want to thank you all for listening and, and supporting and, and watching when the thing comes out. We really, we can't wait to share this thing. It's going to be, it's going to be really pretty. <laughs> really, it, it really is. And it's going to have some incredible stories as we will hint about uh, as we learn uh, a little bit further into Bavaria here uh, after Munich. So that's our second day at Oktoberfest. And like Nicholas said, we, we had just enough time there to wet our whistle, 
but not enough time to really be able to get into it too much because you could spend a whole week there. Uh, speaking from experience, you can go there seven days straight and you'll always find something new and interesting. It really is. It's a bucket list place. If you get the opportunity to do it and you're a coaster fan, go do it. The operations there are phenomenal. The, the, pomp and circumstance behind all the rides is incredible. I hyped up for years to these guys that a ride on the break dance will change your life at night. And was I incorrect, gentlemen? Uh, no, you were right. And I think I still feel a little dizzy from that six minute cycle. <laughs> I know I am, especially because <laughs> the cycle before was even a little bit shorter. So I was like, okay, this ride should have ended by now, but it's still going. Oh, and by the way, you got the ride operator who's also spinning records and running the ride manually because Germany is awesome. And Scott, they're running those rides at their proper speeds. There's nothing automatic about those, are there? No, no, no. And like wh one of my favorite examples of this are the, are the freefall towers because oh they just run such a crazy program on them. Like most freefall towers, you go up, and then you drop or you go up, you spit, you rotate and then you drop these like go up a little bit, rotate, stop rotating, start rotating again and go all the way up, stop rotating, start rotating, stop rotating, start rotating, stop rotating, start rotating, stop rotating, then drop. And you're at that point, you're like, this is a 10 minute, 12 minute drop power ride. Like why? And it just, it gets in your head. Yeah. Why not? That's yeah. the answer. There's not just why it's just, why not? And they play music it's, and they have the ride go with music and they play a different song every time. It's just, Oh man. And that, and that's they definitely, oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. They, yeah, they definitely make it worth like the money you spent. Cause yes. I mean, I'll be honest. Some of the attractions do, they're pricey. If you want to keep rewriting them, rewriting them, it is paper ride, but man, that whatever amount you pay, that's six euros, eight euros, 12 euros you are getting your value for that attraction, whatever you're riding. That is without a doubt. It's not just a ride. It's a show. It's like a, almost a full experience, really. It's not just a coaster. It's a coaster experience, you know? And then that's, oh, and by the way, the lines are constantly moving because they move people in and out just like that because operations and efficiency are the number one priority right below safety. Safety is always the number one priority right below that operations, get those trains moving, get them in, get them out, go. The lines always were moving in Europe. It was incredible. And we can talk about that here as, uh, as we continue. So we've now finished with Munich after a sojourn to find the rental car the next day, which was actually a rental van. Uh, we get out and we hit the road and we get to ride the Autobahn and we're heading to Munsterhausen. Now, for non-park fans, you may be asking yourself, self, what is in Munsterhausen? Why would you be going outside of, you know, into deeper into Bavaria? It's like, well, Legoland's kind of close. I guess you wanted to go there. Not exactly. Munsterhausen is the original location of the Schwarzkopf factory. Every Schwarzkopf attraction that ever existed came out of Munsterhausen and came out of a specific building. So we were across the creek to start off. And, uh, well, Nicholas, where do we get to go? We got to go to a little company's factory. Um, some of you may have heard about this up-and-coming company. They're known as Gerslauer, and they've probably built quite a few of your favorite coasters and flat rides because they have quite a wide library of attractions. Um, and being able to go to Munsterhausen and – 
not only like again be like in the proximity of this original factory building which is still there but then going to you know going to any sort of roller coaster manufacturer is really exciting you know when we filmed legacy of arrow we went to rmc and so going to a european manufacturer and a lot of my favorite rides are gerslauer hang time knott's berry farm it's one of my favorite coasters and so again it was like and as an engineer just like seeing oh my gosh how they manufacture track and rides and stuff that nobody ever gets to see such an incredible experience Certainly. And for those who are not uh, necessarily history buffs, Hubert Gerslauer originally worked with Anton Schwarzkopf, then uh, eventually went on to found his own company, which is now uh, Gerslauer Amusement Rides, which happens to still be in Munsterhausen, just literally across uh, a little meadow from the original Schwarzkopf factory and where Schwarzkopf did some additional stuff. In fact, there's actually a uh, Ferris wheel, Willemborg, that stays there in Munsterhausen when it's not there at the... Uh, at Oktoberfest or traveling in general. So that was really cool to see. Uh, you know, we've done factory tours before, but this one was really cool just to see the breadth of it and just how big, you know, the, the factory actually is and just how precise everything is as well. It's one of those places you can't take any photos or video for obvious reasons, but still really a cool opportunity. And we kind of had a pretty good tour guide, didn't we, Scott? Oh, yeah. Um having Siegfried Gerstlauer take us through was just incredible. I mean, you know, can't say too much about the actual tour, but just having him was like, just wow. Yeah, that was like, you don't understand the, the scale of things until you see them up close like that. And it's just unbelievable. And certainly a, a massive shout out to Siegfried Gerslauer, uh, Dr. Andreas Simonis, and Amanda Mercado from Ride Entertainment, who just happened to be there after being there in, in Vienna, who was like, oh, you didn't have to come this far to say hi to me. Okay, cool. Thanks, Amanda. So massive shout out to all of them uh, for the incredible tour and lunch, which was totally unexpected. So uh, again, massive thanks to that. Uh, we got an opportunity to film in and around Munsterhausen. Never thought I'd be able to fly internationally with my drone, but guess what? That happened. Uh, and then got the opportunity to go across the meadow to the original Schwarzkopf factory. And this this was kind of an emotional moment, wasn't it, guys? That Because the, the factory still has the K in Schwarzkopf at the top. That's the only letter that's still remaining. And now it's a nightclub. Uh, talk to us a little bit about you know uh, your reaction to sort of seeing it and, and seeing the, specifically the door which plays a very important role. Nicholas, we'll start with you. Yeah, so I actually have to thank uh, Robert for pointing this out regarding the door. So to the, to the, to the right of the main factory building, there's a, I would consider it basically like a lobby. Big glass front, glass door. Um, and it has a really unique, definitely well-aged doorknob. And if you look at, um, there's this great documentary that was done um, sort of during the heyday of Schwarzkopf's uh, building in the 70s and 80s where there's a shot of Anton walking into this building and that door in the footage is the same door today, the same door handle, despite not, of course, being home to the Schwarzkopf factory for, for many decades now. So being able to see the K was awesome, being able to do like a then and now shot to show that like this is the building. It's just like it is another like pinch yourself kind of moment. And we had so many of those during this trip that like I'm still bruised from so many pinches that I have to give myself because <laughs> it was just so so incredible and I'm 
Robert, why don't you share your share your, your reaction to that? Yeah, to piggyback off that, um, we were able to get this shot because in the documentary that came out that Nicholas was talking about, there's a shot where Anton is riding. He's driving his gold Mercedes up to the factory, parks his car, gets out, and walks right up to that door. Where to this day, the like you said, the door is the exact same. The gold call box is still there. It probably said Anton Schwarzkopf on it at some point. And it is, besides patina a little bit, it looks the exact same. Scott, what did, how did it feel to be kind of walking in the footsteps of Anton? Like, he's the guy that I, you could probably point to a good amount of enthusiasts who are enthusiasts because of him. How did that feel walking in his footsteps? Yeah, I mean, I think you just said it. Just so many interviews that we've done where people just say that they are coaster enthusiasts because of Anton Chortskov's work, you know, is really a testament. And, I mean, I'm definitely one, like, when I used to play on, like, the little, you know, roller coaster simulator games, I used to always make Chortskov-style rides. Like, um, I just, you know, I owe a lot of my passion for the industry to him. So it was it was pretty surreal. Most definitely. So after a quick jaunt up to uh, Legoland, which happened Can to be I in add the area. Something to that? Oh, yes. We'll, we'll I want to add, uh, this is one of the uh, big shout out to RD, because when we were filming at the former Schwarzkopf uh, factory site, a lovely German woman came out of the door that Anton actually walked in and what I just talked about and basically asked uh, what we are doing. Rightfully well, so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and here's five Americans, and only one of us, luckily, thankfully, knows how to speak German. So huge thank you to RD for saving us there. And maybe, I mean, she wouldn't have done anything or, any, you know, she's just very confused, rightfully so. Certainly. Five Americans roll up in a giant, you know, van, <laughs> start filming her house, basically. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'd, I'd have some questions, too. However, how cool was it when he mentioned Anton Schwerskopf her entire mood changed and she totally understood and she, yeah, knew, she knew exactly who he was. That was, yeah. that was such a cool up, uh, you know, moment there. Uh, obviously we can't film that because you know, there's privacy issues there, but <laughs> that, that's one of those things that just like, yeah, that was kind of, kind of crazy. So uh, after that zip over to Legoland real quick to celebrate the great day. And the next morning it got even crazier. So we were blessed, honored, I don't know how else to say that, to be invited to Wieland Schwarzkopf, which is Anton's son, to his house in Munsterhausen, where he and his wife, along with his sister, Sylvia, who also worked with her dad, fed us breakfast. And we just talked. And it was on the level, like I, you hear me stuttering right now because I can't, I can't properly put into words exactly how surreal that moment was Nicholas help me out here because I'm just keep stuttering. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was like as close as any of us are ever going to get to, to, to meeting Anton himself, especially um, meeting um, not just Veland, but also Sylvia, as you mentioned, Chris, because Sylvia looks, has the face of Anton Schwarzkopf. It was just like, that is Anton Schwarzkopf right there. And so seeing the two of them, hearing the stories, seeing some family photos, that no one's ever seen before was just like a, what am I doing here? Why, 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 why did we get to be the people to get to do this? And it was just 
you know, so cool to talk with them and then also actually get to interview them about their father and, you know, getting that close family connection and getting a chance to show them the trailer of the film and just getting their like stamp of approval on what we were doing. Like that's when you know you're doing something right. You know, when we did the arrow documentary and all the relatives and employees of the arrows founders and that were like on board with what we were doing and loved what we were doing, like that's great. And so having that same sort of approval here was, was, was great. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget it for sure. Robert, any highlights? I mean, that, that was, a highlight um, for a lifetime, but any highlights in particular from that uh, yeah, breakfast? It was incredibly fascinating, interesting, and wonderful to find out that Sylvia Schwarzkopf did a lot of the drawings for Anton's rides and creations. Basically, Anton would get the ideas in his head, would explain to Sylvia what it should look like, and she would draw it out perfectly. So we really have to credit Sylvia Schwarzkopf a lot in helping design these wonderful rides that, I mean, have made memories for millions of people at this point. It's, she's probably one of the very early women pioneers in the amusement industry. I I don't want to say the first because it's hard to say who's the first, but she's definitely very early on. That's for sure. Considering the field is dominated by a male workforce majority. Scott, uh, how many times did you pinch yourself just being able to, to be there and, to hear those stories in person from both Veland and Sylvia. Well, they also had a really cool soap dispenser in the bathroom, but um, I don't know why that stuck with me. But uh, no, all the things in that in that moment, and you're you're obsessed with the soap dispenser. I, I think the most magical moment though was watching the trailer for the documentary with them, and Sylvia started to tear up. And then I, that made me start to tear up. I was like, oh, I can't hold it back. And like, that was just, I don't know, that, that I will always remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think they were definitely taken aback by just not only the quality of it, but just the, the storytelling ability of it. And, uh, you know, that's when you know, as a filmmaker, you've hit the mark. When you can hit without any words, you hit that emotional level and you hit it in a positive way. That's really that's a special moment, right? There's, there's just, there's no better feeling to know that, okay, you're on the right track. You're, you're doing this right. And don't want to share all the stories. There's some pretty wild stories uh, that we got from Veland that we can't wait to share with you in this documentary. Uh, So buckle up. It's going to be quite a ride for just that section, I would say, but it kept getting crazier, didn't it? So, Veland, after breakfast, was very kind and asked us, hey, are, are, are you heading out to uh, Skyline Park? Totally not on our radar. And said, uh, no, actually, we were going to be planning on heading out uh, to a, uh, so actually, to, uh, was it Friedrichshafen? Yeah, we're heading out to Friedrichshafen to, to take a, a rest, uh, a rest day, because uh, we needed it after that, because, I mean, we were all pretty much dead to begin with in terms of energy. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. Um, I'll call ahead. He'll see you there in like 30 minutes. We showed up to Skyline Park and, oh, you're here with the, you're with Veland. Yes, right this way. What what do you say when the son of the guy you're doing the documentary on says, hey, go out there. You go out there, right? That's not even a question. 
Oh, absolutely not. And, you know, he really wanted us to see this very large portable log flume that was there. Um, but they had a really interesting collection of coaster. Um, they had a Mauer X car. They had the first Mauer spike coaster. Um, and without the credits we got at this park, I would not have hit 400 credits in Europe. So I have to thank, I have to thank Milan Schwarzkopf for letting me hit 400 credits by the end of the trip, because if we hadn't got those extra six, we, we would not have gotten it. But it's a really funky park. It's really big fields of grass, and there's like a coaster all of a sudden. It's just like random stuff. Most definitely. So, okay, we take a rest day the next day because we definitely need it. And it's been a, a lot of driving, a lot of moving around, which does not stop for the rest of this film, right? And we uh, jump on the train the next day and we head on up to Roost and Europa Park. And we are in for quite a surprise, right? So we check into our hotel, we head into the park and the uh, Lucas, who happens to be the director of operations. And if you watch VJoy, which is Mock Ride's uh, streaming service, you know, he's the host of uh, one of the shows that talks a lot about the park. So Lucas uh, meets us at the gate and immediately takes us into the park, into a conference room with, I would say, would be probably the most epic, incredible view of any room in any park, period, right? It's over the entrance to Blue Fire, and it oversees half of the park, and it's nothing but coasters running in the background. It, it was... Robert, help me out here. I, I, it's hard well, to I describe mean, with these windows. To expand on that, I mean, it's also a living roof building, too. So it's kind of got this nice curve to it with grass and greenery on top of it. So it almost looks like a hillside backdrop to the park, but it's a hidden conference room. And so we get the opportunity to sit down with Roland Mock. Uh, Scott, talk about that moment he comes into the room. Yeah, it was like all the action got sucked out of the room. I mean, that's like, you know, one of the most iconic people in the industry and we're in his we're in his meeting room and we're about to interview him. Nicholas, and, yeah, you you and I are sitting right there. Talk about that feeling. Yeah, Scott said it great by saying all the oxygen got sucked out of the room because like I knew like I felt confident in our ability to capture this and we've done so many interviews before, but like being such a legend in the industry, I was like, this is like a really big deal that we're getting to do this. And he's going to talk about what was frankly a competitor to his family's company for quite some time. So getting to talk to an industry legend that showed so much respect for what Anton Schwarzkopf did to be able to capture that and to hear some fun anecdotes about what, who, you know, Anton was a very Bavarian, you know, if you look at the definition of a Bavarian man, like it is Anton Schwarzkopf. So hearing funny things like that from him was, was really fantastic. Very well polished, really great uh, stories about all that. It was, it was fascinating consummate professional right like that was for sure i want to add on to that before when we were all setting up before interviewing roland we actually got to work with mock media because they brought in lighting for us to use so like i mean europa really awesome. and the mock family went all out yeah it was awesome most definitely and so uh you know i, I knew roland was a bit of a character but <laughs> I, I didn't realize it until you really get to experience it with him right there and yeah, like Nicholas said, some of the anecdotes that he told and the respect that they had for each other 
was really refreshing, right? Like we think about, you know, when you, you're working you here in America, it's cutthroat, right? It's capitalist, just, you know, kill or be killed when it comes to business, right? That's not necessarily the case back then with, with Mock and, and Schwarzkopf. They respected one another. They were still rivals and they still were trying to get sales, but they respected one another. And that was a very uh, refreshing perspective, I think, than, than what we were, were kind of used to and that, that narrative that we're used to out here uh, in the United States. So as if the view wasn't spectacular enough, if it wasn't the interview, which was just absolutely incredible, you know, with, with Roland, uh, Roland and the entire Europa team were just incredibly kind to us. So we're, we're getting ready to dump all of our gear back, uh, back at the hotel. And Lucas doesn't take us the same way back out. He's, he's drifting to the right for some reason. And we don't know why. And Lucas is not saying anything. So we're just like, we're just following him because, you know, we ain't never been to Europa park. So we don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden he turns, makes a sharp right. And it's the exit for blue fire. And he turns around to us and <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, guys. He said, I figured I didn't have to ask. So That's, throw, yeah. throw your stuff, you throw your stuff here and <laughs> we're going on blue fire together. So, well, this is quite a, quite a way to end an interview. So he was very kind. Uh, it took us for an, an incredible tour of Europa and, and to show off the operations there. I, we really cannot thank uh, Europa enough, the entire Europa team for their hospitality for their generosity, uh, it really it, it made our first visit to that place spectacular, and I'm, I already want to go back. Well, guess what? You can go next year on the Ace International trip. You know, this, let's just you know <laughs> there, shamelessly there plug that. that. There is that. Yeah, you can <laughs> plug that. I will absolutely go. If, if you have not booked your, yourself a seat on that trip, y'all need to get on it right now. Because yeah. let me tell you, the parks that they're going to hit are a lot of the same ones that we did. Uh, good call. <laughs> Great call, actually, on a lot of those uh, facilities. So, yeah. again, a, a massive thanks to Europa for, for making that all happen. We know Roland and, and the Holmock family is very busy, but they took the time to help out Ace, and, and we cannot thank them uh, enough, and especially for, uh, you know, being guests of their park uh, for those that day there. That really was uh, – that's nothing – you can't – I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm stuttering because it just, it was so nice. It really was. So again, thank you to the whole Europa team for everything they did to make this work for us. So, but we're not done yet, guys, are we? We still have two more parks that we have to get to. Oh, so man. we jump on the German ICE train out of Roost and we head on out again, this time to Fantasialand, uh, which is in Cologne or sorry, Cologne. My apologies to my German friends out there. It turns out, and Nicholas did the research on this, as well as Robert, that there's a Schwarzkopf dark ride at Fantasialand, isn't there? Yeah, that was quite the unexpected um, revelation. So we're reviewing the rides there as we were there, and turns out they have a ride there called the Geister Rickshaw, which uh, I was like, this is certainly a, like a ghost train style dark ride. This looks interesting. It turns out it's the only... Om the mover style, continuously moving Schwarzkopf dark ride ever built. Schwarzkopf built a handful of dark rides actually at this park in particular. They're all gone except this one. But we were all just like, 
amazed and we didn't have our, our big bags of camera equipment in there so we had to like improvise using using other devices to like we got to capture this because this is even though it's not a coaster it's it's really noteworthy still just for that i mean it was quite crazy to find that right and, and part of the thing about this documentary right is that just like with the arrow documentary we talked a lot about log flumes and other rides they did those are still significant in telling the story so it's i think it's great to be able to uh to include that in the film uh, robert you were about to say something and i interrupted i apologize yeah no all good um not to like sound too weird but uh, dark ride if you're familiar with how a schwarzkopf ride smells it smelled like a schwarzkopf ride <laughs> yes, <it did. laughs> if, if you know you know what i'm talking about you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> love that i smell. think everybody right now can can they're just like going <laughs> Just sort of sniff into like, oh yeah, I remember that. I know what that smells all about. <laughs> That's uh, that is again another spectacular park. Uh, the, every ride there was just incredible. Just the theming of that park is incredible, and the operations were phenomenal. Uh, just unbelievable facility. If you get a chance again, like I said, to go on that Ace European trip, woo, that's going to be a highlight for you for sure. Just know there is a lot of stairs there. There is a lot of stairs. So just be prepared for that. Yeah, you get your thigh masters out before <laughs> yeah. that. Because, boy, you're, yeah. you, they're going to be on fire. It's very different <laughs> from Europa. Europa is large, sprawling, flat. Fantasyland has very tight constraints on their area. And so they build these really, really unique self-contained themed areas and have to use the space effectively. But it's also not flat. So, yeah, bring your hiking boots because you're going to go for a hike all day long for sure. But boy, you're going to feel really good afterwards because you, you pretty much went through leg day. I think, uh, Scott, yeah. how many uh, stories did it say that you climbed? Was it 30? Oh, it was, it was something ridiculous. I, I would have to go back and find it, but it was definitely a lot. Um, yeah, it's like that. What's the artist with the stairs? You know what I'm talking about? Escher, MC Escher. Yes, Escher. Yeah, it's, it's like if you were designed a theme park, this is what it would be like. <laughs> exactly. Especially oh. the fly cue, my God. Um, yes, it, it felt like, you know, a roller coaster tycoon when you forget to put the line in and you've got to like meander it around. But I, again, the every ride there was spectacular and uh, I, we, we can't wait to show off the uh, that footage of that to Schwarzkopf dark ride, which was definitely, like you said, a huge surprise until you walked in and went, no, that's a Schwarzkopf. <laughs> that's that's the next nerd level when it starts like, I can oh, smell a Schwarzkopf from a mile away. But we're not done yet. There's still one more park that we did on this trip because we are sadists and we had to pack as much in as we possibly could. And that is Wallaby, Belgium, where we had an opportunity to check out Psyche Underground, which is formerly called Turbine, which was a Schwarzkopf shuttle loop that was modified by Gerslauer and put new trains on. So it has a brand new launch and brand new trains. And I'll start with Nicholas because it's a significant coaster for him, the way that everything worked out. Why is it significant for you? Yeah, so as mentioned earlier, because of the fact that Wieland Schwarzkopf called ahead and told us we must go to Skyline, and when Wieland again tells you to do something, you do it. Uh, because of those extra credits, the final credit of the trip, and that means riding every single coaster at Wally Belgium, including the kitty coasters, made Psyche Underground my 400th coaster. So it was a really great finale to the trip from a coaster perspective. I got 41 credits during this trip. Um, and then it also being a Schwarzkopf, it just really was like the cherry on top to this exhausting 
exhausting two week trip, but it was a, it was a really, it was a special ride. Really fun to ride a fully enclosed shuttle loop. Robert, why don't you share about your first ride on Psych Underground? Um, I was really excited to ride it personally because I had listened to the soundtrack before flying out to Germany and it probably has one of the best ride theme songs, I think, in my opinion. Just when the bass drops, I, I can hear it playing in my head right now. I'm not going to try singing it because none of you want to hear that, but it is, it's so cool just launching straight into pure darkness and going through the loop as the strobes are going and the soundtrack's playing. It's, it's a really cool experience. And I applaud them for taking the time and upgrading that ride to, I mean, so future generations can still enjoy it. And Scott, you had a, a friend of yours come out to assist us with that as well, right? Yeah, my friend, uh, my friend Max came out. He actually, so he works at uh, Plopsalin, actually. He's a ride operator and ride of happiness, which is how I got to meet and kind of get to know him. I went to Wallaby Holland with him last year for the, for the uh, for the haunt, and then also met up with them at Plopsaland. Um, so you know, it, again, just like you know, like RD is very helpful, knowing German. Um, you know, just uh, Max, you know, <laughs> knowing the various languages and dialects of that region was very helpful. And we all got the opportunity to not only just check out Psyche Underground and get some really great footage of that. It's pretty hard to get footage of the launch because, you know, it's in the dark. But <laughs> there's a lot of cool stuff even in the line. For example, the original flywheel launch is still there and they preserved it, which is really cool. That would be so easy just to, you know, solder off, cut up and just toss it out or sell it for scrap, right? but they were able to integrate it into the theme of the ride. That was really, I, I think, a nice special touch, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have to give the park a lot of credit for taking advantage of the fully enclosed nature of the ride, which was actually done in stages over the years because the reason it was fully enclosed is because of um, of the noise of the ride. So the local, local neighbors had issues with the noise of the ride and so the ride initially opened fully fully out in the open time went on the loop was enclosed but the rest of the ride was fully out and then they later fully enclosed the ride and so it really makes it like as you said difficult to film it because it's in the dark and it's inside but it really adds to like the mystique and the like the, the coolness factor of the ride and so like having that flywheel in the queue with like dramatic lighting right over the where the track you know it's where it should be it's still such a cool thing to have there and so with that we knock off the final schwarzkopf slash gerslauer of the trip and we can finally take a breather wake up at about 3 a.m the next day and slowly sojourn our way back across the pond back to atlanta drop off rd there and then everyone slowly makes their way back home Talk to me about what was the biggest impact for you all. We'll start with Scott. Like what was the, you've been to Europe quite a few times, you know, with, with your, your stuff. What was the biggest thing that, that this trip left on you? I think it is just like a true testament to the kind of person that Anton was that, that the people that we interviewed and the people that we met um, were, are so passionate about telling his story that they're so welcoming to us because 
they love what we're doing and they're also passionate about it. And that like, just like, like that was my, my big takeaway was like just that emotion. And it's just, it just really makes you think like, I, you know, like I'm glad that we're doing this. I really am because he clearly meant a lot to a lot of people. Absolutely. Robert, yeah. how about you? What was the, the biggest thing that, that impacted you about this trip? Well, that is, it's such a hard question because there's, it's hard to pick one, but it's definitely just being able to capture everyone's stories. Cause to me, not to get too depressing, but none of us are going to be around forever. And it's important to preserve this all for generations to come. You know what I mean? It's, it's really important to share and so many great stories to me, that's the biggest impact. And also, I guess just building relationships for ACE internationally too. I mean, that's also what we were doing as well. Yeah. I think you, a lot of people kind of forget that is that when you were sort of in a lot of cases, like paving the way, you know, for additional events to come in and to build those relationships with the park personnel, that's really, it's all about relationships, right? And now ACE has got great relationships ahead of the European trip, but also just in general, that's just what we do, right? Nicholas, for yourself, what was the biggest uh, impacted thing or the biggest thing that you, you took away from this? Well, as Robert said, it's it's really like there were so many memorable moments and every day I was like in in disbelief that we had just interviewed this person or just heard this story or just went to this place or, or got access to this thing or ate this great meal. I was just like, what is going on here? Um, but I want to I want to I want to comment a little bit about what Scott said about everybody appreciating what we were doing, because uh, this company was really unique, Schwarzkopf, because it's unlike a lot of the others from the past and today where you don't just think about the company, you think about Anton, the man, the person. When you think about other companies, you don't typically think of like a person representing the entire like aura of the company, like Anton Schwarzkopf does for what he did for, for, for his family's company. And so being able to see people who had relationships with Anton Schwarzkopf, whether it was they own a coaster, they own a ride that they still run today at Oktoberfest, or they still ride it today at a park out there that we filmed outside of Europe, for example. Um, it, it was just like really neat to basically meet Anton's friends and, and you know, bring those stories back to life because Robert said we're not gonna be around forever. And so these stories are so important to the fabric of the creation of this industry and he revolutionized it for sure. So that's really, being able to be part of that is something that like I still grapple with like, having that honor is, is, is hard to describe, but it's really great that ACE gets to be part of telling this global story. And, and Chris, I'd love, you know, please share what your thoughts are on all this too, because I don't know if you can pick this one either, but it's, you know, <laughs> just, just rant on like I did and you'll have some great things to say. I'm rant sure. on about Anton. Yeah, I don't think we're able to rant on about Anton too much. Yeah, uh, but, <laughs> you know, I, absolutely agree with with all of you it, it's really about preserving these stories for future generations to learn about like you said nicholas arrow was just arrow they're your four founders and then ron tumor and then alan Schilke at the end but it was still arrow schwarzkopf was anton right not necessarily the the case though as we're slowly learning that it wasn't just 
Anton Schwarzkopf. There's a lot of other players here that made it all work together. And that's going to be, I think, really special to be able to share with everybody. But again, like you said, the stories that these operators have, that if you try to buy a Schwarzkopf on the secondary market, it's more expensive than its competitors. Why is it more expensive? Because it's a higher quality attraction. That says a lot. And it's not just those big stories and anecdotes. It's the little things, right? The, the little stories about changing out the factory or how did this ride come about? And like you said, Nicholas, it's really more an honor to be able to be part of that and to be able to capture it and then share it for others to understand, to laugh, to respect, and to learn. I'm really excited. A little nervous, of course, too, because we still have some more filming to do and can't wait to do another recording session about that later. And here we are now. We're about two-thirds of the way through on production, you know, and now we're, we've got a few more shots to, to finish next year, edit this thing, and then put it out into a premiere, and we all cannot wait to to see your faces and to hear your feedback from what you think of this because you know we put a lot of hard work into it ace has supported us all the way and we cannot thank them enough for doing that and for making this possible because we could not do this without the membership right we could not do that without you all listening right now so thank you for entrusting us with that and we will not let you down this is going to be a spectacular film a Stunningly beautiful film and a film that is going to make your jaw drop. And you know, the, the coolest part guys is that eventually just like the legacy of arrow documentary, this is going to make it onto the ACE YouTube channel and it's going to be free so that everyone gets an opportunity to learn about Schwarzkopf who may or may not be an ACE member. And that just makes ACE, you know, get its presence out there even more and sort of solidifies itself as the roller coaster enthusiast group because they're the ones putting out these great films and i want to be a part of that too and hopefully it inspires others too so with that there's a ton of stuff that we can't even talk about yet because you know for legal reasons but <laughs> we also don't want to reveal everything ahead of the film uh, is there anything else you guys want to touch on before we kind of wrap this up I guess one thing I really just want to say is I know a lot of you are very excited to watch this so are we like we are we are really quite excited to put this together and it's been it's been just as much hard work as it has been fun it takes a village to do a production like this and so yes it's, it's the four of us talking here it's rd dewberry it's those on the ace executive committee it's all the ace members who came to the six logs over georgia shoot it's all the friends that made all these connections happen everybody at the parks you know months sometimes almost a year ahead of time to make these things happen. And so hopefully this gives you a glimpse into the magic that is us making a documentary with and for Ace. Um, but yeah, we are, we are just, uh, just as excited as you are to, to see this thing come together. Be sure to check out the trailer. It's on the YouTube channel or just look up Legacy of Schwarzkopf. You'll see both of those there. And any updates, be sure to check out the Ace social channels to see the latest on what we're doing and where we're at. Thank you so much for listening to us today, everyone. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to keeping you up to date on the latest Schwarzkopf happenings. Ride With Us is produced by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, a registered 501c3 organization. Visit ridewithace.com for additional information. And we 
We'll see you at the parks.